G'day and welcome to another Green and Gold Rugby podcast with uh, Matt Rowley here. We're sponsored by strike.com.au. They do fantastic iPhone car kits, um, cradles. I got sent through one actually just today. Yet another perk. That's, I think, two perks in a couple of weeks there from sponsors. I'm doing pretty well. Use Green and Gold Rugby as your safe word and you'll get a discount. Joining me today, um, we've got the good and the bad. The bad is going to be talking about last weekend. The good is our guest. Um is uh, first of all Hugh Cavill, mate? How are you? I'm good, mate. Actually, I'm um, I'm just waiting by my mailbox, waiting for my perks to come through. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, you've got my address wrong or something because I swear I've been here for months and nothing's come through. <laughs> it, it, it's in the post, mate. It's Australia Post is so unreliable. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but but no doubt your stuff's come through, has it, Timsey? Yeah, mate. No worries at all. Living the dream up here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> City. You're still you're still waiting on the headphones to come through, obviously by the sounds of things. But um, yeah, look, yeah. Look, we don't One have time, mate. Yeah, look, we don't have a lot of time now before um, our special guest comes on. Um, he's probably well. I think he might be the most special guest we've ever had on. Actually, um, actually, I don't know why I'm pretending the listener doesn't know because it'll be written on the podcast. So we've got Stephen Larkham coming on in about 15 minutes. Uh, Bernie Larkham. Um, is there a more godlike figure? I think in Australian rugby. Yeah, well, you're probably right there, Matt. We've actually got quite a quite a sort of a history now of uh, top Wallaby players and current Wallaby players and ex Wallaby coaches, and it's almost maybe time for a, for a greatest hits album, maybe just in time for Christmas. <laughs> but I mean, I guess my point is that out of all the guys you could choose, I don't know why. I, I you know I've just got this gut feeling that he's probably the biggest one. Um, I think maybe it's that drop kick, you know, being part of World Cup winning team as well. I don't know. There's just something about Bernie. He just, you know, the ghost like, the, you know, the ghosting. I don't know. There's something kind of supernatural about him. But anyway, look, we don't have much long time. We've only got 10 minutes. So let's, and we probably don't want to spend more than 10 minutes on what happened last weekend because I think it will just depress us all. Um, what happened last weekend? I don't okay. remember anything. Well, good. I mean, you've managed to scrub it from your brain, um, Timsey. So I'll, I'll leave you in that happy place. Yes. Hugh, mate, you did the, you did, you did the ratings. Um, you know, you had a pretty scathing open. I mean, what's you know? Now you've had a few days to think about it. Is it any better? No, it's not. It, it, it's it's a real shame, actually. I mean, you know, I, I really wanted a like last year, a bit of a morale boosting win over England after a bit of a down season, and and uh, we couldn't even deliver that this year, which is a shame. And I've watched a few of the midweek sort of panel shows and your sporting analysis shows and. The Wallabies are just a laughing stock now, and and regardless of the things that went wrong for us in that game, it's just you know yet another nail in the coffin. It seems, which is it's a real shame, and yeah. it puts this, the tour any interest in the tour already done because England's the one game you want to win. England's the one game people are going to watch, and it was the one game we couldn't deliver. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it just you couldn't have timed it worse or, or, or lost worse. I, I think the other bit was I wrote a piece during the week. I think it was also the nature of it, right? I mean, we yeah. all got excited by this 
loss, glorious loss to the All Blacks because, yeah, we might have lost, but, you know, there was three tries in there. We played a bit of rugby. We gave us something to believe in. Um, you know, we, we turned over Argentina. That made us think, you know, we could do it as well. Um, and I so I think to lose, I mean, if we'd scored, I don't know, three tries and but gifted the Pommies three plus a bunch of penalties... I don't think anyone would have felt that ripped off, um, even you know, with the same kind of losing margin, really. But you know, as it is, you just feel like, oh god, you know, it was just they just, you know, I don't know, they tried not to lose rather than to win. I think, um, Timsey, I mean, is this bringing it back to you? Have you, have you got any opinion that you can offer? Uh, no, it's just best. It's best if you just stick to my thing and just not remember it because we were terrible. Uh, it, it was exactly what you said. The nature of it, the the complete look of lack of interest, really. Mm. So, so, what about? So, I mean, obviously, the big talking point is the refereeing. So, Hugh, you are a qualified referee yourself, I, I believe. Um, yeah. So, what do you, what's your take on it? Are we blowing this out of proportion? Uh, did he have a shocker or, you know, did he have a shocker but it didn't really matter, we we're going to lose anyway? Well, I don't know if he had a shocker. I think his problem was he made a couple of, and it wasn't even him, to be fair. Mm. There was just a couple of crucial errors made by the officiating team that was really, really costly. Mm. I mean, the first one being the, the foot in touch when, uh, when Brown, the fullback, caught it in touch and play on and, and it goes back down the other end. And, I mean, that's... You know, Wallabies, that should have been a five-meter line-up to the Wallabies and, and right in scoring territory. And, and we didn't have many chances that game. And, and you would have think at that point where we had a seven-point lead, that could have really put the game out of England's reach had mm-hmm. we converted that opportunity. And then the, the obstruction call, which was, a, I mean, a blunder by Clancy just as much as anyone because he was speaking to the TMO during the deliberation process, which was quite a... You know, quite absurd, and and I I still for the life of me don't know how that's not an obstruction. Mm. Um, if you look at it, on every angle, Stephen Moore is impeded, and yes, whilst he could have still made the tackle in the end, I think if Hartley wasn't in the line, I don't even think Farrell takes the option to run. Mm. I don't because the hole's not there, the opportunity's not there. You know, he he probably passes that ball. I think obstruction offside, call it what you want, but um, well, you know that that's how it goes, and the scrum as well. There were a few baffling calls. Mm. I mean. As the game went on, he wasn't terrible. You know, I think the penalty count was roughly even. But, geez, you know, you, you, you almost prefer a ref who's all over the place. But at least when, when the big decisions need to be made, they, get, they fall the right way. But, mm. shit, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to think that they did have a, have a bearing on the outcome of the game. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean again, the, the, the baffling things was like, you know, the TMO saying, um, I don't think... Well, let me take a step back. Um, it was even before we got to the TMO. Uh, he said he, Clancy did that thing like the French wrestlers started doing. He said, "Oh no, it's okay. I've seen it. I don't need your opinion. Um, you know, I'm going to rule that it was okay." At which point the TMO said, "Yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't enough obstruction. Like, yeah, enough. Know, yeah, there's a certain. There's a, that's that's that was his quote." Um, Is there know, anything in the law books that talk about how much obstruction you're allowed? Or? Yeah, apparently, you know, 35.8% obstruction is, is the cutoff uh, point. Um, and at, at, at that, below that, it's, 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 it's not enough. It's not enough, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, you know, there, was, there, was, there were those things. I, I think, um, 
you know, we could go into that whole thing about, and I've pulled out the clips from the scrums and that, and I could go in and, I, you know, you could do some more analysis. I think the way actually that I read that, you know, England did a number on us and we're still sitting ducks for this. And um, actually, if you really look at those scrums, you know, everyone talked about Marco Vunapola and he's boring in, and I think that was part of it. But actually, the second bit that most people miss is the other side of the scrum, which is where the um, the lock and Rob and, and the out, the... Um, uh, the, the flanker were wheeling around. And when I say wheeling, I don't mean it in a legal sense when you just drive straight ahead on one side. I mean, they were literally walking sideways. So they were walking the, the, their side of the scrum around. So they were creating a real kind of pincer movement on the Wallaby scrum, which you know they just basically they couldn't handle um, and getting away with it. But um, there was so much, when you think about it, when you look at that, you think actually as much as like, you want to point a finger at Clancy, there was so much happening in those scrums. There's no way. I mean, I've slowed it down and watched it you know, it's like the bloody, you know, um, uh, JFK tape, um, you know, back into the left, back into the left. You, you watch it over and over again, and you only then do you start to see how it's all working. And, but it's happening so quickly, I don't think there's any way that he'd have any way of really judging what went on there. And again, you know, we just fall to the wrong side of it whenever that's going to happen. So um, as it turned out, uh, Farrell kept missing his penalty kicks anyway. So I'm not sure we can say those penalty decisions in the scrum um you know had the 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 sort of impact on the game that they could have uh altogether anyway um yeah i i agree i think you did right i think we got penalized a few times but overall in in the context of the game it wasn't a it wasn't hugely costly and on our own ball we were actually pretty solid so you know it it wasn't the disaster that that it could have been but um geez it's it's just that that depressing realization you have twenty minutes into a game where you just realize the forwards just aren't having the impact. You know, it's that same. Geez, where are we going to get go forward? Where's where's our number eight? Where's our second rowers? Where's our props rumbling over the advantage line? They're just they're not there when you need them again. Oh, and it's just and it's when they start. I mean, you just wonder what the Wallabies do when they look at a um, Northern Hemisphere tour. And it's like they go, oh, excellent. Um, we've played all the tough guys. Now this is going to be like a Super Rugby game. Um, and we're just going to string our guys out in the back line and throw it around. Um, or in our case, we didn't even throw it around, but we still still yeah, kicked it. I mean, but, you know, the forward pack, I mean, the Poms basically went, oh, this is great. We'll have, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of breakdowns where if you look at the replay of it, you'll see the Poms have up to seven men. They have half of their team and in a breakdown. Um, and they've just decided they're going to make a shit fight of it. And they're just going to walk through the middle. And we've got like one guy who's done like a half attempt at a, at a clear out. Um, the rest of our forwards strung out in the back line waiting for Tamua to do a bomb for some reason. Um, and, you know, and they, they just walked through. It's it's just like that 2007 bloody semi, wasn't it? Um, you know, when we just, you know, repeatedly saw the Poms just walking straight through onto um, to George Grieg. And look, a couple of minutes left then. Um, Performance-wise, players, um, anyone stick out? Timsy, can you, can, you, can you bring out any positives? Uh, it's tough. Uh, you know, there, there was no one that really, you know, covered themselves in glory. Definitely mm. not Sanchez. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's probably easier to sit there and pick the people out of bad game. Mm. Um, Quaid was okay. Um, Mike Brown yeah. had a cracker. <laughs> yeah, GC was good, wasn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, that sort of counter-attacking player that you never see in the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, hang on a minute. Um yeah, at Q, I mean, you did the ratings, mate. Who, who, who did you pick out? 
oh, look at these games. You end up with the people that fucked up the least, and that ends up being the wingers, really. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Ashley Cooper, <laughs> Ashley Cooper, Falau, Cummins. I mean, I, th- I thought Falau was pretty good too. Uh, um, Matt Tamua seems to be doing okay in the 12, and he was probably one of the few players that can say they they are, you know got the better of their opposite man. Um, so, you know, certainly a few questions I want to ask Bernie Larkham about, um, about him coming up because uh, I wonder if the uh, Brumbies coaches in waiting are uh, rethinking their 10-12 strategy for next year on the basis of these games. Yeah, that seems to be the burning question that's come through um, from most people. Um, I mean, the big thing that I think has come through, like you guys said, no one really put their hand up. Uh, I think Scott Fardy was having a pretty good game until he got knocked out and unfortunately then isn't playing this weekend, I think, because of that. Um, we missed Rob Simmons. I can't believe it. <laughs> Our lineup was, was noticeably worse than it was in previous weeks. Mm. And uh, dare I say, Sinaleki Damani was... A, was uh, very, very poor compared to uh, Rob. <laughs> so uh, forget everything I've said about you in the past, Rob. Come back. It's all forgiven. If I see another picture of Sedeleki Tamani falling over instead of tackling someone, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to spew. Because it, it just every time... There's plenty, out there, mate. There's plenty out there. Oh, God. Him and, to be honest, Ben Alexander as well. Just kind of, you know, it's kind of this lunge. Oh, no, I've missed you um, sort of thing. And I don't know. Oh, God. Just... Anyway, pretty terrible. All right, I'll tell you what, let's let's break it out there. Let's stop the commiseration. That, that was the bad. Now let's have some good. Let's have a chat with one of the biggest legends in Australian rugby. Yeah, right there, right there. So here he is, uh, the great man himself, uh, Stephen Markham. I've asked him. He said it's okay if I call him Bernie. So, you know, everyone don't cringe if you hear me slip slip into that. But, um, Stephen, mate, great to have you on. Yep, thanks for having me. No, it's, it's fantastic. Um, mate, first of all, I, I thought we'd just start at the beginning um, uh, and just ask you a few things about, you know, rugby and, and your playing days and things and maybe just go right back to the beginning and ask, how, how, did, you, how did you get into rugby in the first place? Uh, well, my dad was a rugby player, so he played um, over 300 grade games here in Canberra. Yeah. Um, and he basically started coaching me in my first year, so I was a bit too small to play uh, when I was seven and eight. So they didn't let me play until I was nine. But dad was my first coach up until what about under 18s? I think dad coached me. Oh, jeez. So he's taken a lot of the credit. I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I guess that's where you get most of your grounding from your junior days and the skills that you develop are all through those junior days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's a pretty good coach. We had fairly good success. Okay. And so what did you... And So after 18, what was your kind of pathway? What, what happened then? Uh, after 18, well, through, throughout juniors, I sort of made all the rep sides in Canberra except for under-15s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a halfback uh, growing up. Under-18s, well, I played the schoolboys... For ACT, I got knocked out in the uh, uh, under-21 tournament um, at the national championships in the first five minutes, uh, and that was the end of, of that dream. Yeah. Um, then I got picked up the following year for the, with the Bumbies, so I was sort of making all the websites in, in ACT, but never really recognised on the national level, probably a little bit too small, and um, had some other faults in my game as a halfback. Um, but after that, um, I was sort of I got, I got shifted from 
half-back to outside centre playing club rugby for Canberra in the Sydney competition, playing second grade because mm-hmm. um, I was playing half-back for most of the year and then George Gregan came back into the first grade side after he'd finished with his international duties. Right. Um, which, mean, which meant the first grade half-back came back to second grade and I was pushed down to either out of the team or on the bench. Um, but luckily enough, the coach thought that I was good enough to stay in the starting 15, so he pushed me out to outside centre, and uh, things sort of went from there. I, I had uh, a couple of games at outside centre, and we played the final at North Sydney Oval, and, and uh, um, I played pretty well in second grade, and then sat on the bench for first grade, and um, got an opportunity, uh, would have been in the first half, right. to come on because I got injured. And uh, uh, again, I had another pretty good game, uh, and Rodden Queen was there watching that game, and he was um, preparing for Super Rugby the following year and, and, and was looking for potential players. And uh, I must have caught his eye because he rang me up and said, would you be interested in a contract? And I said, yes, I would. So I was, I was um, contracted to the Brumbies as a you know really base-based contract of utility back. Um, and then things sort of happened from there. We went to Japan that first year on a pre-season tour and our outside centre got injured. I started the first game of the season for the Brumbies at outside centre. Um, three games into the season, wasn't playing so well. Um, but I came across some cover tackle uh, in the third game of the, the season. And uh, Rod Cave was a fullback at the time. And I came across and I, I dived at this guy and had a break. And uh, my legs had swung around and um, I hit Rod Cave and actually fractured his ankle. So a position, <laughs> position happened up at fullback for me <laughs> because I was, I was floundering at 13. Um, and got an opportunity to play fullback, and um, you know, sort of made the most of that. Didn't I? Don't think I missed another game. Oh wow! So Rod Kafer at fullback. Yeah, that's where he started. He was. Um, so we played club footy together as well in Canberra, actually. Right. Halfback, and he was he was the fullback slash inside centre slash utility back at West in Canberra. All right. So um, a, a, an AC a Brumbies uh, stalwart uh, and stalwart of our site, Steve Lenthal, um, asked so. When and you know uh, Rod McQueen came to you and said, uh, "How about playing 10? Uh, how did that yeah. all? How did that all happen? And was that a bit of a a bit of a shock to you? Because in, in everything you've just talked through there, it sounded like that's about the one position you hadn't played. Yeah, pretty much. I, I sort of um, mucked around at five eight inside centre early in my junior years. Sort of, uh, well, my first year actually playing juniors, um, I sort of wanted to play in the background, but. Um, Dad put me in the front row because I was the only one in the scrum who would push. So everything about me was, you know, had to be a competition and I had to win the competition. So, you know, a scrum was another asset. Uh, another element of that, I just had to go in there and push and try and win the ball. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd be racing out to try and get in the back lines. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years through the gyms, I played a little bit of 5 eight, but I was, I was definitely a better halfback and um, always wanted to be a halfback. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I said before, I was going up there to initially with the Brumbies and then fullback and, and started to sort of progress as a fullback and uh, really enjoyed that role and um, had an opportunity to play at, at the test level at fullback and really enjoyed that. And then it was um, it was a big vacancy in, in the 5 in Australia and yeah, it was Rod's idea to, to chuck me into 10 um, and give me um, a couple of chances to prove myself at 10, um, I think he said at the time, we'll give you six games. So I hadn't played 10 at uh, senior level. Um, and it was 
the first test match of the year, and he said, uh, I'll give you a chance to play 10 in this one, and I'll give you the next six tests to sort of uh, get a feel for it and see where you sit. And uh, we were lucky enough to play England with a very young squad that they brought out to Australia. Um, yeah. Johnny Wilkinson, I think that was his first game for England. He was very young at the time, and um, I think we beat them 60-odd to nil, and I scored three tries. So that was, that was it. He sort of said, okay, that'll do you. So yeah. just, we went from there. And and how did you so how did you find I mean because obviously then that kind of became your position really and uh, I mean uh, how did that fit you I mean how did you know did you did you feel like oh this is just home or was it just hey it's another position I'll just do what I do to it I mean how did you feel yeah about I guess it? I, uh, yeah at the time it was um, a little bit awkward because I was certainly comfortable at fullback and um, you know I was I was pushing for for test level against uh, Matt Burke. Um, there was a bit of a competition going on there between me and Matt Burke, and you know, like any competition, I don't want to lose it. So I was, yeah. I was really sort of fighting to keep in that fullback position, and I was really starting to enjoy fullback because I'd only been playing fullback for a couple of years, really, mm-hmm. um, and had a lot more room and um, time, um, had good control on the ball when I had it, and all that sort of stuff. So I was really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, a little bit um, dejected, I think, initially, to, to be told that I wasn't going to play fullback anymore. Um, but like everything else, you know, changing positions um, in the first uh, five years of my senior rugby, um, I just said, "Yeah, I'll have a go." Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I said, I said at the time, "Look, I, I don't really know how to play five eight. I'll just play like I've been playing at fullback." Um, and I guess I developed into more of a running five eight because of that, because of, of yeah. what I've learned over the last couple of years is playing fullback. Mm. So, looking back on your career, Stephen, I mean, obviously plenty of highlights. I mean, what's the one that you look back on the fondest, though, after, you know, your career in footy? Uh, the best memory, I guess, is winning the World Cup in 99. Um, so, just sitting in the change rooms after the final, um, looking across the change room, looking at Rodney Queen, um, and just reflecting on the two years that we'd spent building up to that. Um, you know, I had a, a pretty ordinary run coming into that World Cup with my knee and my hand and um, had a few operations uh, three months out from the World Cup. But, um, you know, prior to that, everything was picking along well and it was just a, a good time to reflect on what, what we'd done and soak it all in. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, if I retire tomorrow, I'll be happy. I mean, I've done enough now. I, think I, I thought that was the greatest moment ever. Um, and and mate, I mean, you know, just talking about that uh, that World Cup, you know, that drop kick. Um, you must have been asked about it a gazillion times, but I, if you, if you have, I'm sorry, I haven't heard the answer. Was it as much a surprise to you as it was to all of us watching, or was it like, hey, I've done this before? What's everyone? Oh yeah, hung no, up no, about? No. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had, I think I've kicked two in my career now in senior level. Right. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, one was for the Bundys a couple of years after that one, yeah. um, and I've, I would have had over a hundred shots at field goal, so it was definitely a fluke. Um, <laughs> but it was it was on the back of um, the world record that had happened the week before. So Yanni De Beard kicked five, I think five or six. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, with five um, field goals um, for South Africa, and it was a world record, and we were all. Joking about it at training, we were all practicing at training. You know, everyone the props, <laughs> and so I got a little bit of practice in through the week, I guess. Um, right. 
but it, but it definitely was a bit of a fluke. Uh, earlier in the game, probably 15 minutes into the game, I got a bad cork on my leg, and uh, the ball came out to me. We were just on the 22, and field goals really weren't part of our game. Mm. As an Australian side, it was all about running rugby. Um, and I got the ball just, just on the 22 right in front of the post, and I couldn't move, so I decided to take a shot at field goal, and it missed by about five metres, so that was embarrassing. Jeez. Um, but then at full time, schools were locked, and went to the change room and the assistant coach, Tim Lane at the time, said, if you get a chance to take a field goal, don't waste the opportunity. Obviously, uh, realising that three points couldn't have been the difference between winning or losing. Yeah. Uh, and so I got out there and, uh, yeah, it just sort of happened. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about kicking field goal, field goal, field goal, but I guess it was in the back of my mind and um, Grady had hit up quite well off the back of the line out and uh, I got the ball second phase and there really wasn't much on. There was a first few defenders in, defenders in front of me and I didn't have a lot of support so I thought I'll just kick it dead and um, and we'll get a 22 restart so we'll keep that field um, position mm. and keep going on that way but um, so, so is that why is that, is that why you kind of hammered it so hard because you really built it <laughs> yeah well that's right yeah yeah I thought because they just brought in the new law that you couldn't kick the ball dead um, otherwise it would come back to where you kicked it from for a scrum so it was only new Okay. Um, so the only way you could really kick the ball dead to come back for a 22 was via drop goal. So that that was what I was thinking. I've just got to kick this dead, and it was um, an ugly drop. And I thought, oh, gee, I hope it goes dead. And then it came off the boot, and it started hooking straight away, and then it straightened up and went straight between posts. So. <laughs> you good. Yeah, so, so yeah, fantastic. So f- flash forward, something 14 odd years, and. Uh, and the, currently at the Brumbies, um, the situation with Jake White was obviously a, a bit of a shock to everyone, and obviously, sound, by the sounds of it, it was to, to the to the Brumbies guys and and the coaches as well. And then, you know, in the ensuing weeks after that, obviously, we've we found out the new coaching structure. Uh, it wasn't a quick process. Do you think that was a good thing? And and the Brumbies were obviously deliberate behind the scenes. Do you think that that process was was a good one? Uh, yeah, it was good for me. Um, you know, I started thinking more and more about um, the head coaching job and the responsibilities that would lie with it. Um, and I think they got a bit more of a feel for um, where I was at in my coaching career. Um, and the fact, I think, that that uh, myself and Laurie combined quite well. So, yeah, I guess they had to see it for themselves. We, we sort of knew where we were at together, um, but it was good for those guys who had to make those decisions to see exactly what sort of relationship we had. So it sounds like, so what you're saying there is that you and Laurie kind of went in with that with an idea and then it was a case of kind of convincing the kind of like the committee or the board or whoever it was that, you know, that would that would, that was a goer? Well, not necessarily, no. I mean, they, they did pose the question early on whether we should do... Uh, co-coaching right. or something along those lines and, and we, we both basically said um, oh no someone has to make the final decision and we, and we sort of toyed with the idea of um, splitting things up and, and taking pressure off one another and um, um, and then sort of the, the process just unfolded after that so that you know we, we gave it a little bit of a thought but um, it never really grew and, and we've basically come back to that position now where um, we're both still able to coach on the field, which is which is a massive part of the program for the Brumbies. Mm-hmm. But we're sort of sharing the responsibilities off the field. Um, 
that a typical head coach would do that would distract him from actually coaching the boys. Yeah. Now, I, I, when I read how you guys were talking about splitting it up, I mean, there's a hell of a lot that kind of makes sense in there. Obviously, it's going to be quite a change, though, from kind of the way um, Jake did things. Have you got some ideas? I mean, what... We talked to, I remember we talked to Laurie about a year ago, actually, just going into this season. He was talking about what you guys are looking at changing and improving at. What sort of ideas have you got as far as, you know, what you think the Brumbies need to work on? I mean, you know, you guys didn't do too badly last year getting to the final, but uh, where, are the, where, where are the kind of the areas of change or improvement that you think you guys need to work on? Uh, well, right across the park, really. Um, mm. We've definitely built the Brumbies back up. Um, so two years ago, three years ago, really. Uh, in 2011, we probably hit rock bottom, um, and we learned a lot of lessons out of that. Jake came in with Laurie Fisher and um, turned the culture around a little bit, um, but also gave us a different style of play, um, and it's been quite successful. You know, we had a young group of guys two years ago or two seasons ago. We had um, a group whose average age was 22, um, and they came down to Canberra with an attitude of working hard and trying to prove themselves, which is how we sort of started um, back in '96 with the Bumbies, and that's sort of where we had the success from. Um, but basically, we had some good coaching and a, a lot of structure to work within, and the players really applied themselves and um, um, have improved themselves um, and obviously the organisation. Uh, over the last two years. So we're really not going to go too far away from what brought us success over the last two years, um, but there are certainly elements of our game, both in attack, defence, uh, breakdown, um, kick chase, kick receipt, all that sort of stuff. There's little areas that we're, that we're uh, looking to improve. Um, I don't really want to go into too much specific stuff there, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, some teams, like you look at the Chiefs and... Um, uh, you know, they've made more line breaks than us, and, and a lot of other teams have made a lot more line breaks than us, which lead to tries. And 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 our our goal, I guess, in attack is to really score more tries this season. Right. Yeah. So obviously, pre-seasons just kicked off for you guys, and and you're looking at formulating your, your team for next year. How much does what's happening over in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment with the Wallabies affect how you think about? the way the Brumbies are going to operate in 2014. You see Scott Fardy playing well at six when he's played a bit in the second row for you guys. Ben Moen's at eight. Matt Tamua's at 12. Um, do, do these things play with you and, and change the way you see the Brumbies unfolding next year? Well, not in terms of individual person, um, personnel, but I think it's good for those guys to experience different, different positions and um, understanding the game from a different position. Um, for us, the biggest thing, I guess, is two years ago and last year, we only had three Wallabies and we had our pre-season basically with 32 guys training against one another. Um, we've, we've lost that opportunity now with so many guys away, so I think we've got um, nine guys out at the moment um, who are Wallabies and we've either had operations out the back of the Wallaby program or still over there playing. And we don't get those guys back until January, sort of 6th of January, and even then it's... a um, an eased um, initiation back into training uh, for a couple of weeks. So we've really only got a two-week build-up to the season with, with a core group of our players this year, which we haven't had over the last two years. So um, opposed to, as opposed to uh, all the positional changes that those guys are going through, the biggest uh, problem that we're seeing with these guys now representing Australia is that we haven't got that time together to really change our game or 
at Torelgain. And so just like I've got to say, I mean, I, we, we put out about 45 minutes ago. Um, any questions? We've got, you know, uh, Stephen Larkin coming on. And, you know, every second question involves probably Matt Tamua uh, and Christian Leila Lefano and maybe Quade Cooper in there. Um, but ignoring Quade Cooper because he's not going to be playing for the Brumbies next year, obviously. Um, you know, Leo, the, that whole discussion, Leila Lefano versus Tamua at, you know, 10 and 12, when you look at those that combination, is it obvious to you who's a ten, who's a twelve? Are there, you know, what the skill sets that the two guys have? Are they really distinct in your mind? Uh, how do those guys kind of fit together in your head? Yeah, very distinct. I, I guess you've seen it over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Matty's our five eight, and Christian's our twelve at this stage. Um, mm-hmm. And they're going to have a lot of competition. With, we've, we've signed a couple of new guys, uh, and those guys are now training with us at the moment. So there is going to be a lot of competition in the ten twelve position. You know, Pat and McCabe's training exceptionally well at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Lionel Cronje coming over from South Africa. Um, we've got other guys trying to put their hand up for the twelve position. Um, so there, there is going to be a lot of competition next year, but um, certainly over the last two years, the combination for the style of game that we've been playing has really worked for us. Matty at 10 and Christian at 12. Um, mm. It gives us um, good structure and um, stability with Puck at 10, and, and um, you know Christian's a slightly different player in that uh, um, you know he's a little bit more ad-lib. He's, he's going with the flow. He's, he's making breaks and creating stuff. Uh, on his own, slightly differently to the way that Matty creates him. So, so it's a it's a good combination to have one guy more straight up and down, one guy more free flowing. Okay, so because that's where I was trying to get to, I guess, is the kind of how you kind of characterise their two games, um, which is that you, you know you think that uh, Matt kind of gives you a bit more of that that kind of that base that structure, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's not that uh, one gives. Um, something better than the other, but it, it, it's definitely a strength of Matty's game, and it's a strength of Christian's game. And, and uh, you know, we're trying to improve the other strengths of their game as well, or the other areas of their game, mm. to make them a more complete rugby player. And, and that uh, will allow us to interchange between ten and twelve. Um, mm. So some moves, um, you know, Christian's at ten, up to twelve. Um, uh, some situations on the field, it, it works that way as well. So. Mm. Um, if we can improve all of the skills of those two, then they'll be more interchangeable as time mm. goes on. And mate, just talking a little, you know, a minute or two ago, and obviously with you being coach now, how do you find the transition from player to coach? Um, you know, I think you were kind of doing a bit of both over there in Japan, and then you've kind of obviously transitioned into it um, here in in, in Australia. Uh, big changes? Was it a different? Is it? I mean, just just how different was it for you? Yeah, it's a massive change. As a player, you're there during training and then you go home and, and you really don't think about anything until you get back there and train again. Um, as a coach, you know, you're there for uh, long hours, much longer than you are as a player. Mm. Um, and you're constantly thinking about things when you're at home. You're, um, you know, you've got to plan things. Um, you're thinking about strategies and tactics. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's a lot more demanding now as a coach than it was as a player. Mm. Um, there's certainly enjoyable aspects, um, 
um, as a coach that you don't get as a player and vice versa. Mm. So, I mean, the challenge is, is definitely there at the moment to try and improve myself as a coach. Mm. Is, there, is there any one piece that you've kind of, you know, that you're kind of working on hardest because you've kind of found is, 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 is you know, is, is the newest bit or the most difficult bit? Oh, it's, it's getting my head around what a head coach has to do now. Right. And the roles and responsibilities of that and um, managing my time. I guess, um, you know, as a player, I pretty much just turn up five, ten minutes sometimes, one minute before training would start. Yeah. Get out there and train. Um, so it's now a matter of managing time and and um, prioritising things um, to make sure that, um, you know, you, your plan is right um, and, and you can relay that plan to the players so that we're all on the same page. Right. And... Finally, to sort of start wrapping things up, um, the Wallabies England game on Saturday probably wasn't wasn't the best uh, to watch, but uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. But uh, uh, I mean, what do you think went wrong with the Wallabies there, and uh, how do you think they can improve that as they go forward? Well, well what went wrong? Um, uh, Stephen Moore got shepherded off the play, and uh, Matt Tamu's kick was out. They're the, yeah, they're the obvious things. Um, <laughs> You know, that didn't happen. If those two um, occurrences didn't happen, then we win the game. Um, you know, England didn't play well, um, didn't have any attack really that threatened us. Uh, and then we couldn't put the phases together again. Um, some some sloppy work at the back of the ruck. Uh, we had a, a fairly poor game there that um, I'm sure he's heard all about. Um, you know, it's been all over the media. and uh, Certainly an area that we need to fix up in terms of um, trying to create a little bit of continuity in our attack um, and, and allowing, you know, we've got some pretty skillful players in that back line and even in the forward pack, but just um, giving them an opportunity to actually attack for a little bit longer. You know, we just lost our way there in attack. Um, there are a number of opportunities in behind the English defence as well. They had 14 in that front line. They had one guy sweeping across the back there and we, we probably didn't make the most of that. Um, and the ball in the air, again, is, is a problem for um, the Wallabies at the moment, you know, either catching opposition ball or contesting balls that we kick. Um, it's just uh, too far off the pace for us to be competitive at that super elite level. Because uh, it seems to me that there's there's the big... Th- I mean, uh, we were talking just before we uh, got you online there, Stephen, and one of our big thing was our feeling was that also the Wallabies they didn't kind of go out there to play an attacking game. So we, you know, you look at the number of kicks, uh, the number of offloads, the number of line breaks, even versus when they played New Zealand just two weeks ago. You know, number one side in the world at home, and it was you know they played half a game of rugby versus what they did against New Zealand. Even, what's your theory on on your thinking on that? Are there times where you just need to have to you know just put it in the air like they like the Wallabies did on on Saturday or do you think actually these days? I mean, teams are scoring lots of tries. Do you do you need to be more attack-minded, and you can't just shut things down? Yeah, but you've still got to be smart. You've, you've definitely got to score tries. Mm. Um, but if you have a look at the, the Kiwi game, they're not scoring um, many tries out of their own half mm. um, from set piece. Um, they're they're opportunists. They they get turnovers and they run the length of the field and score, but actually creating something out of their own half, they're not that good at, at doing that. Mm. Um, and, and and they're very smart in terms of not bringing the referee into the game. You know, they might have one or two phases in their half and then they're, they're basically kicking the ball down the other end of the field and putting the pressure back on the opposition. And uh, mm. yeah, I think we can we can take a, 
a lesson from the way the Kiwis play. Um, there are certainly times on the weekend, and, and again, it comes down to the conditions on the day. Is the ball wet? Uh, how's the referee refing uh, the scrum, um, the breakdown, all that sort of stuff? You've got to sort of take that into account. And um, yeah, sometimes you have to play winning rugby. Um, I guess is, is the terminology. Um, you know, attacking, entertaining rugby sometimes at test level doesn't win your games and actually most often than not it doesn't win your games you've, you've got to make the most of your opportunities mm. but be smart about um, your control of field position so just thinking about so that at half time it was pretty obvious that the coaching staff there said right guys get out there and put it you know get it just keep it down their end would that have been your advice as well do you think um, yeah, it did look a little bit slippery, and again, you'd have to be there to see what it was, but I, mm. I looked at Will Guinea's very first pass of the game, and it was a bit shaky, which mm. would indicate that it was a little bit slippery. Um, and again, you just, you know, you look at the opportunities created by them having 14 in that front line, you look at the second play of the game, was it still the first play, maybe where Quay just chipped it over to Adam Ashley Cooper, who was in tremendous space, had that ball bounced up for him. Yeah. Um, so looking at that space in behind was definitely the way to go in that game. Okay. Look, mate, we've taken enough of your time. It's been fantastic talking to you. Uh, thanks for the time. Uh, it sounds like you've got plenty cut out for you uh, over the uh, pre-season. Mm, yeah, yeah, we're, we're progressing quite well, actually. We've got a number of local players training with us at the moment to make up a full squad. Um, and they've brought a lot of enthusiasm and uh, enjoyment into the team at the moment. We're going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment where we're trying to push the guys exceptionally hard. They've got a, a really difficult day tomorrow. Um, and then they've, they've got two more weeks of this. So we're, we're sort of in the middle of our pre-season right now and the guys are, are still responding quite well. Okay. It's, it's beasting time, is it? That's it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thanks for the time. Really great to talk to you. Right up. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Right there, right there. Well, fantastic to talk to a legend of the game. But while we've been on there, on air, on air with him, uh, the team's been announced. And I guess there's not a lot of surprises in there. It's largely the, largely the same starting team, except for Rob Simmons at six. Um, as a bit of a second row expert yourself there, Hugh, what's your, what's your take on the logic here? Well, according to some tweets, it's because... Uh, Link wants to keep Sidalecki Tamani in the scrum because obviously the scrum performed so well last week that, well, wouldn't you want to keep that combination? <laughs> um, it's it's a very, very strange substitution. I think Simmons is a good player, but I don't know if he's a six. Considering you've got Ben McCallum and Dave Dennis, those guys around the squad, um, it's a very interesting approach, um, especially against the Itais, who are a very, very sort of you know physical side. And Simmons, you know, Simmons is a good physical player, but I'm, I'm not sure, you know, he's exactly Scott Fardy-esque. Yeah, I mean, so. he's not exactly the guy that you see over the ball, is it? Um, or, you know, barreling through breakdowns. I mean, it's not like he's a great competitor. If anything, he just he just kind of does something, usually does something dumb and gets penalised. Um, yeah, I'm well, really... Well, he'll have his opportunities for that, so it might prove <laughs> that. I mean, I'm struggling with that. I mean that's a that's a weirdy because if we then go to the bench, he's actually got Dave Dennis on the bench and Liam Gill. 
Uh, I yeah, would have dropped Kane Douglas and Ben McCalman. Yeah, because I was like, you know, Kane Douglas obviously just performed too well um, to be selected. But uh, yeah, wouldn't you expect, yeah. you know, Dave Dennis if anyone was going to do that? Uh, to and I, that yeah. Exactly, and I would have thought this would be a good week to rest James Slipper and even Stephen Moore. I know the you know Italy's a a very physical side up front, but nice. uh, sure, I mean these guys have played a shared load of rugby this year and. Mm. And you could tell. I mean, James Slipper didn't touch the ball once mm. on Saturday. I mean, sure. I mean, he's looking well behind the pace. Um, it just seems to me like Link's sticking with it till, till sort of, a, till they break down, which might be sooner rather than later. Mm. Yeah, I'm still not sold on this whole starting. Uh, I mean, I, I actually thought Slipper. If you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, you watch it again and again. He was put on a lot of a lot of pressure at. Uh, at, at loose head, I I actually felt that maybe he, you know, and I realise there's different back positions and stuff. I'll get shot down for this, but I don't know. I thought he took a lot of pressure at loose, and I thought maybe taking him back to tight might be a way to go and to move Ben Alexander out, but then to get our best attacking, you know, loose head Ben Robinson back on. Um, but uh, that's obviously not in the plans at all. And then I think the only changes then in the backs are around the reserves as well, where we've got. Um, it's um, uh, Foley has uh, dropped out. Bernard Foley's dropped out, hasn't he? And it's Joe Tamani, I think, who's come back in. Um, which actually doesn't give us a lot of fullback cover then, right? So you're then looking about, you're just going to be juggling around. Uh, if, you know, Israel Folau went out for whatever reason, then what, you've just got to move Adam Ashley Cooper there and then slot in Tamani, I guess. Yeah, I suppose that wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, mm. you, you've got enough cover there in Ashley Cooper who can cover almost every... Spot in the back line. Mm. I mean, it, it's a reasonable enough bench. I think the back line at this point is fairly well set. Um, you know, with with that starting starting lineup there. I mean, they didn't play badly on Saturday. I think that uh, they certainly took a step back from Argentina and New Zealand. But uh, I, let's hope they can bounce back this week against the Itais. Mm. Um, Timsey, so look, let's let's move on then to this weekend. Have, I don't know. Do we even do we even want to forecast what what are your hopes for this weekend for the Wallabies? <laughs> oh, I think Tim's actually Tim's just gone and discussed. He doesn't even want to talk yeah, about he's, it. He's he's remaining silent. I, mean, I don't think that's <laughs> you know, no expectations. Maybe that's a good way to be because yeah. the uh, I mean remember last couple of times we played Italy in Italy, it's never been convincing, yeah. and I think we're probably due a uh, you know due to be at the other end of the scoreboard because last year I remember we rolled out to something like a 20 nil lead and we were looking sensational but then they almost they almost ran us down so yeah, um, yeah so it's going to be a close one you wouldn't back against that yeah this could be it this could be the time we thought Argentina might have been it um, but uh, yeah this looks like or we or I mean God knows with this team they could come out and bounce and put 40 on them mm. I mean I wouldn't rule that out either but do you know what my problem is? I think they're just looking so knackered as well. I think they're just looking physically and mentally shot. Um, well, if you think they're knackered now, wait for three weeks' time when we're fronting up again against Wales. I think. Or, oh god, yeah. You know, it's just it's just ongoing, and and well, if they yeah, can't, I mean, for, as a, even as a spectator, it's getting tiring. Yeah, no. If they can't find something this weekend, oh god, you know what, what's going to happen? Um, it could be a new points record for Scotland. 
<laughs> coming our way. Well, they are our bogey team anyway. Um, yeah. All right, look, yeah, not looking good. Let's hope everyone can prove us wrong. Uh, we've lost Timsey. He's just, yeah, he's just had enough, I think. I think he's blown a fuse. Uh, thanks, everybody else, for staying on and uh, powering through. Thanks for staying on with the Wallabies. Uh, Hugh, thanks, thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, let's hope it's a bit of a happier one next week. Yeah, indeed. All right, guys, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you later.